Hello, you're listening to a spoiler-filled film conversation. Hooray! By special request, the sensational return of Richard Nicholas, purveyor of lewd comments and architect of mirth. (laughs) (laughs) Ably supported by Miss Abigail Bain, Carmarthenshire's darling. (laughs) Or should I say Carriad? Mm. (laughs) And also, Clenethy's own resident and celebrated tragedian, Anthony Evans, late of the Reading Conservatoire, <laughs> would that be right? I suppose. <laughs> I think if he's went to college in. Um, but not with us this week is uh, Missouri's own villain, <laughs> Jamie Thomas. <laughs> but, uh, you know, <laughs> we're here to uh, dispense mirth and, uh, yeah, just do a podcast about a film. <laughs> I did really enjoy the credits of this film, so um, I, I don't expect you, Abby, to give the credits in quite the same way Peter Ustinov wrote them, but uh, it would be handy to know who made this and, and uh, whatnot. Okay. We are going to be talking about Vice Versa from 1948, which was written and directed by Peter Ustinov with the writing help of F. Antsy. It stars... Roger Livesey, Anthony Newley, Kay Walsh, Petula Clark, James Robertson, Justice, Dave Hutchison and Harcourt Williams. And is about businessman Paul Bultitude, who is sending his son Dick to a boarding school. While holding a magical stone from India, he wishes that he could be young again. His wish is immediately fulfilled, and the two change bodies with each other. Mr. Bultitude becomes a schoolboy who smokes cigars and has a very conservative view on child upbringing, while his son Dick becomes a gentleman who spends his time drinking lemonade and arranging children's parties. Huffin Sherbert. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they body swap both of them immediately. It takes one wish, then another, which is uncommon, I think, of the body swap genre. Yeah, um, Paul, the father, he wishes by accident, and then Dick, the son, wishes maliciously. Yes. But yeah, it was my choice this week, vice versa. It does have a remake from the 80s with uh, Judge Reinhold and... Who's that kid star? Fred Savage. Fred Savage, yeah. I have seen that, actually. Uh, I watched it not that long before watching this one. I watched a bunch of body swap comedies uh, in a month. I basically had Swap Timber to myself. Uh, or swap, swap, Swabs Us? No, I, there's no better... I don't know. Swap, swap Timber, let's call it that. But yeah, I, for some reason, I was like, oh, I love a body swap movie. I'll just get loads of them and watch them all. And then this was one of the gems of a very pool, a very shallow pool of gems. <laughs> like, they're mostly terrible. Even this one isn't exactly five stars. But um, there are some that are quite interesting. Uh, but yeah, the Reinhold one is fine. This one is weirder and therefore sillier definitely sillier well no the the whole the body swaps the body swap genre is incredibly silly like i've never seen one where they take it super serious and uh it's real like because if it it was real it would just be people screaming and crying and like weeping in a puddle just like (laughs) i don't understand how i feel (laughs) like i think the best bit of this is uh, for realism, is when when the 
father becomes himself again, he goes, oh, my liver. <laughs> like, yeah, just years of alcohol abuse suddenly kick in. <laughs> oh, and the kid mourning about have being fat and tired. Um, yeah, but I've been watching a shit ton, and I was like, this is this is quite the one. Always a big fan of Peter Ustinov as well. Multi-talented, smug bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Just acting, writing, comedy, directing. I mean, just theatre. There's nothing he couldn't do, really. And he's got a delicious voice. And uh, I I was interested to see him not on camera, but to see what he does when he's behind it. Behind the magic lantern? (laughs) um, Or whatever. Anyway... Had you guys heard or seen this, or you know, maybe your thoughts on uh, body swap movies? I haven't seen this one. I think I've seen um, some of the the remake, the one with Judge from Reinhold. Yeah, like just in passing on TV. Um, I've seen. I think I'm like you. I've seen quite a few kind of body swap things, and they do tend to be a bit samey. Um. You know, um, so I was kind of expecting the kind of like the old tropes, I suppose, from this one. But, you know, at least it was like, this must be one of like the first kind of like body swap films. So maybe it might have been a bit more fresh, I suppose. It does happen in uh, literature, though. I mean, I think Tales of Tales of Arabia is that that's one of the earlier writings that has like stories of body swapping. I mean, there's body swapping in lots of old stories, so it's been around as an idea longer than film. But yeah, this is like a proper film, beginning, middle, end, with the key concept of oh my god, I'm in a different body. I mean, sometimes the, you know there's a difference in body swap. Sometimes it's just you have a new body, and then sometimes it's two people swap, or maybe a person and an animal or whatever. And then if you get into, you know, these days, you can fucking do Jumanji and literally the body swap in left, right and centre, um, teening them at a time. So, But generally, they follow the format of two people and a stupid object <laughs> makes them switch. Um, this this probably isn't the most preposterous eye. Like, a big stone jewel eye thing is not the weirdest one. Like, I think the one in the other vice versa is a sort of decorative upside-down skull ornament. So, I don't know. What's the one? And then Big has, like, that the, a very good one, which is, like... I mean, it's not technically a swap, because he, he transforms, but him becoming... A little boy becoming a man with, a like, a seaside fortune-telling wish machine. That's great. Like, I like that. That's a nice idea. But this one's just a... Yeah, thing. Don't worry about it. Wishes. Sometimes you wish. Sometimes, I don't know, there's a storm... Or, I can't remember, some of them are really preposterous. Sometimes you just wish on a star, literally. And then other times you have to get into quite the circumstances. But anyway. I seem to remember the the like the remake of Freaky Friday being like a magical um, fortune cookie or something like that. <laughs> yes, there's a... Me- there's a There's a meddling... Like, there's a woman who runs a, a Chinese restaurant and her daughter, and the mother... Uh, is a meddling person who, when she overhears, I guess, a predicament, decides to give people body swap fortune cookies at at the behest and frustration of her younger daughter who has to try and intervene. But yeah, that's that's good. I like the fortune cookie is a good idea. 
What was the Abby? We watched um, Freaky, the original Freaky Friday, which is rather bizarre and fun. What was that one? Did they they switch because of they wish or something? Is there more to it? Um, I don't remember. No, I don't remember. Right, I wouldn't worry about it. Okay then. Well, okay then. <laughs> but, you know, like there's so many as well. If you like, you start thinking, oh yeah, what you everyone thinks like Freaky Friday. And maybe they think the odd one from the 80s. They were big in the 80s. Like, literally big in the 80s. But uh, 17 again, 13 going on 30. Switch is quite good. Uh, I don't know, like, you know, Face Off is technically one. And then there's technical other ones which are like like Source Code and Shazam. and like So there's loads and loads. And then they, sudden, they get into, like, low-quality territory very quickly, like Hot Chicks, The Swap, Down to Earth. Even 18 again, which is like a classic 80s one, is kind of terrible. Um, so yeah, this I've watched loads. So I know all about body swapping. And uh, I think actually in 18 again, they have a nice shot where they bought both the old grandpa and his grandson blow out candles on an 18 cake at a birthday. And it's, all, it's 18 and 81. Maybe it's an 81 cake. Anyway, but they kind of pan around, and because they blow out candles simultaneously on a rotating 81-18 candle, I, th- I think that might be why. I don't know. Sometimes it just happens in a dream. I don't know. There's any number of reasons to switch bodies. But Abby, you'd seen a couple with me, didn't you? Mm. How does the genre grab you? Frequently squandered as a concept. And sometimes they're a bit... <sighs> I don't quite know what the word is for it, but like we mention it sometimes where if a man has swapped bodies with a woman, say, there will be at, at least like a couple of hours where each of them are like, I am coping, like the guy's coping with having breasts, a vagina, the woman's coping with having a penis and balls. That's a couple of hours if you like. I mean, there's, I have a tick list that you, you disappoint me if you do a, if you do a, a switch and one of the things isn't, oh my god, like if you're a teenage boy switching, you're definitely going straight to like a girl's locker room and fucking getting a big eyeful, which a lot of them do, but a few of them are like, oh, we're going to dodge that, but it'll be a bit nicer, or like people, it's like, you know, you're straight away, you're feeling your own bits up, you're masturbating, you're going crazy, you're going, after you've got come to terms with the fear of it all, <laughs> once you've cr- cried in the bottom of a shower for a while, then you're probably gonna jerk off and or go after <laughs> what go go after all the perks of being switched and not not being known to be who you are, you know. So it's also like <clears throat> passive stuff as well. That's not even just male female, but like being a significantly different height very suddenly, it's is going to be something that's difficult for you to deal with. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, obvious territory that you expect most of these movies to go through, and then you never know if you want them to do that or if you want them to, you know, get around that and not waste time. We've seen that before. Uh, but yeah, this being the forties, I assumed they were going to, you know, cover some of the obvious ground. But quite quickly, they, you know, get on with other things. <clears throat> One of the things that always goes that's always a bit questionable is people are like, oh, I have to carry on with my life. I have to do the other person's role, like Freaky Friday, the other vice versa, and even this one. They're all like, oh, like in this one at least, the kid forces the dad 
to go to school as him because he doesn't want to himself and he wants to enjoy his life so the kid and the kid has no choice because he's like bullied by the butler but like generally people are like oh my god our lives will fall apart if you don't go to work and i don't go to school you go no 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 the day is cancelled the day is utterly over now. <laughs> you, maybe don't worry about what. Like literally, the first there should be five ten minutes of how the hell do we switch back instantly, and then eventually it's oh my god, like that's the day gone. Then this is <laughs> well, this is just you know LSD trip territory now. But um, yeah, anyway, we gotta carry on. Anyway, sorry, hmm. go on, Anthony. Yeah, at least at least this this film embraces like the whole silliness of the whole idea it doesn't take it seriously in the slightest really and that kind of works to its benefit yeah and peter ustinoff has set up from the very very first opening logo that this is a satire and silly and it's all a big jp joke sketch idea and i like that it even like the the other like muscly block with a gong i don't know what logo that what company that is actually Gong Company, Gong Productions, but even that has the ting of a like triangle instead of the gong noise, mm. <laughs> and then we have quite an amusing, uh, like pastiche, like tongue in cheek, uh, like verbose fruity language, uh, credit sequence, like an old fashioned, um, like 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 what would you call it? slide, credit yeah. sequence, like almost older than the film itself. Uh, in in its approach, and then Peter Usenoff has has deliciously, uh, I guess, adjusted all the all the credits to be really just yeah verbose and over the top and uh, full of charm and just over, all just really bigging everyone up and making little jokes about what every, every literally everyone on the credits roll has some sort of joke to it. Um, did you guys? Did you guys? Rem- like it, like that sort of opening. Yeah, it's like at, with like with, with old movies, you get this uh, a lot. You get like the kind of like two minute introduction, and they put all the credits at the beginning, and and you see that so many times that just some variation of it where you actually might be interested in actually reading it rather than just switching off for two minutes and is it, something and... nice, I suppose. And you don't notice at first. At first, you're like, "Oh yeah, okay." You, you then you start. You if you start reading them, you're like, "Oh, they've all got like stupid, like you, once they have nicknames and stuff, like the the England's darling for the for the for one of the females, and like, uh, I, I think Peter Ustinov refers to himself as like late of the yeah, it was late of the Moscow Conservatoire, and he's just like, "What is this?" And yeah, like some of my favorites were like. Um, one of the, I think, I don't know if it's like an editor or something, but like Magic Lantern Decopage, maybe that's the cinematographer. <laughs> um, someone was credited as doing Tricks of the Year. Uh, oh, I liked uh, Continuity and Feats of Memory for the Continuity person. That's nice. Theat- theatrical Haberdashery. Uh, I think there was one about like facial hair as well like uh, um i don't know it would have been there were there were loads of just you know really good ones that were just worth reading and you, and you did i was almost like oh god stop the credits i didn't catch that bit i want to read that person's uh you know altered title of job 
I think even the extras were like, uh, you know, professional walking people or something. It's very mm. good, worth checking out, just for that. Just for a bit of whimsy at the start. And then it's quite a meta film, actually. It opens in, a, like, this is like the 40s, and we have talking directly to camera, we're making jokes about, as if as if the audience is approaching the main character. So it's all very, like, the hell's going on? Like, the character is talking to us, and and then joking around with his butler and the people. He's, like, at a wedding of his son. And it's just, like, it's quite a surreal way to begin your film, isn't it? Yeah, I did. I, I, I laughed. Like, I think we're kind of, like, zooming in. We see, like, a married couple going off on their, like, honeymoon. And then you kind of, like, zoom into the butler, and then he kind of looks into the camera and is like, who are you? I don't know. Caught me off guard. Yeah, yeah. I think the butler just wants rid of us. He did, like he kind of warns us off, mm. <laughs> being invited into this man's life. But then, um, what's his, what is the name of the guy? Paul. But I can never remember his surname. They say it Bultitude. all. Bultitude. Bultitude, right? So Paul Bultitude uh, basically pretends he had an appointment. And the butler's like, yeah, you just forgot. Oh no, he tells the butler he forgot, and the butler's like, oh, don't forget or whatever. Like, but we just get a sense that uh, Bultitude is like uh, a bit of a a bit of a cad who can't be wrong or something. But uh, it's yeah, it's the it's um it's the guy I only recognised from the life and death of Colonel Blimp, right? We we watched that, haven't we, Abby? Yeah, he's cracking in that as well. It's a great guy. Yeah, he's just a uh, a ridiculous uh, old school military man, very imperial and very upper class and toffish, but also kind of an oaf. And uh, it's kind of amazing. This is a kind of similar character. It's the similar sort of uh, kind of up your own ass, tough, arrogant old school dipshit, isn't it? In this as well. It's a very similar to Colonel Blimp is uh, Bultitude. Uh, had you seen this actor before, Anthony? Nothing I can point my finger at. I feel like I have. Yeah. Maybe he like looked slightly different, or maybe when he's not in like silly Victorian <laughs> makeup yeah. and hair. But oh. nothing, nothing that stands out anyway. Yeah, I think I think these two, in this this and Colonel Blimp, he's made to look older than he is as well. So it's like it's a bit deceptive. But yeah, I did enjoy the sort of fourth wall breaking. Inviting us in for a story, and the fact that one of the good bits was someone comes up to him and interrupts him uh, at the wedding. Like this is some old woman. He's like, "Oh yes, oh, hello. Ah, oh, nice to meet you too." And she's gone, and he's like, "Oh, I think that was that woman." Hmm. Like he's just like, not only is he <laughs> telling us about the story, he's being he's still living his own life and being interrupted. It's very, very. You could tell when Yusnov sat down to write this, he was going to have a hell of a lot of fun, and uh, was thinking all the time. Like about what is happening in the scene, how can that be subverted and made to be all the more amusing? He wasn't just happy to have a concept that's funny and have two actors play each other. He was like, "We're gonna have every aspect of this be satire." And I, I don't know. You didn't have to do that. It could have just been more straightforward, couldn't it? True, but I think that's that's the thing about the film that I liked the most was how it was just making fun of and satirising the kind of upper-class mm. Victorian English society all the way through. 
Yeah, there's an air of sarcasm to many of the dialogue uh, strands, and it's a very, very wordy script as well. Like, every bit of narration has humour in it, and every piece of dialogue is filled, not quite with jokes, but with, like, a witty way of putting things. It's, yeah, just, like, dripping with sarcasm and irony and wit and... Uh, like just that verbose, over-the-top, flamboyant language that Peter Ustinov seems to excel in. Well, the first thing I want to name drop is that he actually says close the front door, which I appreciate because too much in film and television, they leave fucking doors open all over the place. <laughs> you don't, don't want to draft you when you're watching a film. And then it's um, that early part in India. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> There's very much a uh, caveat of, now remember, it's the 40s, and it was a different time. (laughs) There was a bit of that, but it also did kind of flip it slightly. Like, um, at first you kind of like have the guy, obviously not Indian, playing a really stereotypical Indian taxi man, or elephant taxi man, whatever. Yeah. And then you kind of like cut to like uh, like a really kind of stereotypical shaman guy, um, sitting on like a bed of nails and like attractive women doing dances. Yeah. But then it does kind of flip it slightly. When you're at the point of oh god, so much of this, uh, it does kind of flip it slightly, and they kind of like turn to each other and go like mm, tourists. Let's just put let's put this on, which I kind of found was quite. Somewhat refreshing, I suppose. It it was a relief that they were mocking the Imperial British uh, people. They were like two explorers Mm. uh, on the elephant, and they were like uh, just arrogant English men who had come to shoot Tiger, as they said. And then, yeah, there's all these like obviously brown-faced actors playing Indian in a very stereotypical manner. But it is as if all the Indian people are somewhat putting it on and and milking the mm. the the foreigners coming to their land and oh I see like idiots we'll fucking entertain them and take their money basically so it did it didn't make fun really of indians it you know there's obviously a bit of like uncomfortable indian voice and stuff but you know it's the 40s no one, no one would have blinked or what no one would have thought twice about it then and it, you know, it's it's awful, but it's also fine because of the time. And it, it, it's not mean-spirited. I think Peter Ustinov uh, has always been a big celebrator of different cultures. Like, he's not uh, critical of, like, anything. I mean, he's from Russia, I guess, technically. Very, very British man in reality. And he's always, like, like I think he's, you know, well-travelled enough to appreciate other cultures and know that the British are funny in their arrogance and their stupidity. And the whole thing is a send-up and uh, mocking of the English and particularly Mm. the kind of upper-class toffs and just arrogant people. It it makes fun of the law and judges and politicians and teachers and stuff and is uh, very very unmean-spirited, I suppose, towards the victims, the smaller people. It doesn't... uh, doesn't feel mean, uh, apart from to the people who deserve it, I suppose. So yeah, it is a bit. It was a bit. Oh dear! And then it. And then there's not that much of it, I suppose. But it is an. In, it's an interesting setup. 
Um, it's the tale of uh, the uncle, right? Like, I can't remember what his name is. It's got huge lamb chops, though, and a moustache. Um, Marmaduke Paradine, although I don't know if that's... I think he, at late at some point, says he's got a... goes by a different name or... He has a couple. Something. Yeah, he's a wanted man, yeah. He's a badden. Yeah, I think there was some, like, uh, witty reason why he'd fled England, um, and was not pretending not to be on the run, but, you know, whatever. Like, he he is the villain of the piece in a, in a way. He's not in it that much, but he's the kind of uh, brother-in-law of Paul, hmm. and yeah. Paul hates him anyway. He doesn't like it. He wants him out of his house as soon as he arrives. But the setup being... Should... Go on. Paul's wife has passed away, and it's her brother. Yeah. And so, in India, he is arrogantly going to some temple. It's the temple of the laughing hyenas or something. Yeah. And there's some questionable jokes about the Indian language. And then, basically, he steals one of the eyes of a monument. Like, he just helps himself. And then I think there's some joke about it being made in Sheffield or something, but it's actually just... Oh, no, it's the screw that uh, the holes in the eye is made in Sheffield, but the, mm. the, the stone is a legitimate magical artefact. And is cursed, so don't fuck around with it. But he takes it anyway, and uh, I think they say that his helper, who's reluctantly helping him, uh, gets his... eaten by a tiger just down the road. We hear some screams, and yeah, basically he comes home for, with it from England. Has nearly been killed many times, supposedly. I think something nearly falls at him at the docks, and mm. he's like, "Oh, I got to get rid of this." It was the last straw. And so, like a true gent, he foists it on his uh, brother-in-law, who he doesn't like, presumably, and makes him take it and accept it, despite his unwillingness to uh, do so. He doesn't want this weird bit of eye garbage. Yeah, I mean, just stuff. He doesn't want a big eye stone. I can't say that I'd want it, per se. Big stone from an eye of a statue from somewhere? I don't know. Um... But yeah, basically, to get rid of him, Paul accepts it. And therefore, I, I don't really understand why the curse for his brother-in-law was nearly dying all the time. But the, the curse is it is a wishing stone. Once, once Paul has it, he accidentally wishes himself into a body-swap scenario. But it's not like the brother-in-law had body-swapped or anything, or made a wish to prove that it is dangerous. It could have been a self-fulfilling prophecy, though, because he'd been told that it was dangerous. He could have then made it dangerous by thinking about it. Well, we we don't know how magical Indian statue eyes work from the Laughing Aina, uh tribe, but we do know they body swap and that it's a massive pain in the ass if you're trying to live your life normally. But yeah, it takes a little bit. We set up then, basically, the artifact is in play, uh, and we have to get to know Paul and Dick, uh, father and son duo. Yeah, as you said, Abby, the father is widowed, and the boy is left in his care, and he's a very reluctant parent. He do, he seems to be even incapable of staying in the room for five minutes with his son before he goes to school. <laughs> like, all the kid wants is a bit of pocket money and sympathy, uh, because he doesn't enjoy school because he gets bullied. And the dad's like, oh, God, you have to stay in the fucking room with me. <laughs> like you can barely put up with that it. that was because he was waiting for that woman to show up. But oh, right. that's fine then. Badly. Good parenting then. If <laughs> Fair enough. 
But yeah, I mean, how would you describe uh, Paul or the father? He's just kind of like that blustering, stereotypical Victorian. Just a ruddy, moustached, arrogant oaf. But sort of like, but not actively a douche, just passively a bit of an old fart. Yeah, they're so conservative and old school that it's actually a hindrance to anyone who wants to live their life. Like, but then it's a world where everyone obeys that logic. Like, so he Bultitude is an ass hat and an entitled prick. But anyway, his butler expects that, and the maid expects that. So when he body swaps, they're kind of confounded, and like they don't understand why he's not being his usual dickhead self, and is behaving a little bit like a young man. But basically, they can't accept that he's not an asshole. So it must be something. Must get a doctor. But yeah, just a blustery, ruddy twat, right? And the son... And the boy mm. is from Dr. Doolittle. Well, he be- he later he, la- <laughs> he later <laughs> plays the Irish fella in uh, Dr. Doolittle, the 60s Dr. Doolittle. What was that role? It's just an Irish guy who accompanies the doctor and all the kid or something, is it? It's not really a... I thought he, like, delivered stuff. It's just a guy. It's Jack of old. I don't know what he did. I can't remember it that well. But it is weird I... that the boy is in that. <laughs> it's in that later on. I've just kind of like pulled up his IMDb page, and like the picture, the first picture you see is of the Cabbage Patch Kids. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the Garbage Pail Kids. Sorry. There we go. That makes more sense. I was like, uh, is he a Cabbage Patch doll? Is <laughs> in the Garbage Pail Kids. I can only assume. I, I don't know why his picture, that picture, would be there otherwise. I mean, that's terrifying. Oh, I don't know. Let's about forget that. about that. He's, yeah. he's got a very extensive IMDb, and that is but a blip. <laughs> but yeah, otherwise, as a young man, uh, you know, dark haired, huge collar, Victorian style collar, and uh, you know the classic little schoolboy cap, uh, and just a, a I guess. It's not a scary pants, exactly, but he's, you know, a troubled young man. He's small and has been bullied and is reluctant and is not getting any of his way. He can't even seem to scrape much pocket money out of his dad uh, to spend on sherbet and mints and things like that. I was a little bit dubious at first when you kind of first meet him um, because he's kind of like playing like the, the, the meek child. And then he does like a really awful bit of crying. Yes. Um, and I was a bit, I was a bit dubious at this point with his kind of like uh, acting range, shall we say? His child acting is worse than his adult acting. Which yeah. Is bizarre. <laughs> well, I think they're going with broad stereotypes, isn't it? And then yeah, they you can see why as it goes on, uh, what why he's been cast, I guess, which is. <laughs> He has quite, actually has quite a good laughing fit as well once his dad changes. Like, he's quite enamoured and amused. Suddenly, life That's has turned strange. around. Yeah, so what's the thing? Paul uh, Bultitude says something about wanting to be younger. Uh, holding yeah, the yeah. big stone or something. Oh, he says yeah, his son wants it just because he wants to fuck around with it or play with it. And then he's like, you can't have it for some reason. And then he wishes yeah, something. 
Yeah, he's trying to convince his son that these are the best time of your years and I wish that, you know, I could be a kid again going through it all kind of thing. Mm. And what do you know? We have a transformation. Sometimes body swaps like to avoid them. Sometimes they're instantaneous. This was a sort of weird... I don't know. I never know, quite know if the claws are going to change or what. Like, I don't know. Anyway, go on, Abby. Well, first his clothes started to change, and that's why the kid was laughing all the time. And then he had that tiny body with a man's head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's bursting out of a school uniform initially, yeah. His lovely, his lovely uh, old man hair as well, because he's got hair, enough hair to comb, but balding at the back and just, oh, just sets off that moustache, that big old fucking moustache off, just perfectly. And yeah, just a stumpy little child body. Before, I, no, is it is it the turn back or that one where his head spins round and shit? No, that's when the kid changes into the man. Oh, At yeah, first yeah. he's got no head, then he's got a backwards head, and then it comes round to the front. Those were the weirdest choices he made for that sequence. <laughs> Yeah, I like it. Took it took a little while for the dad to change into a boy, so the kid could laugh and we could understand. Then, as you say, yeah, it was just instantly a giant body for Dick with no head. I don't understand. And then, yeah, like the head pops up and spins round. You know, uh, well, it's the forties. We'll allow it, kind of <laughs> effects wise. But like when they switch back, it's instantaneous. So I don't know why they didn't have a grotesque like shrinking down. <laughs> Although, I think Dick did worry that when the butler and the maid are like, what's wrong with you? He was like, oh, I'm not shrinking, am I? I don't want to give away that I'm not my dad. So, he was conscious of that at any point, maybe his body will go back to normal. But yeah, I mean, I gotta, I like a, I like a transformation into body swap, it's important. That whole, oh, I've just wake up and I have a different thought pattern in my brain is not... You know, there's the class. Usually there's the classic go to the mirror, boom! I don't know. I think, I guess, did Paul look at himself and realise you have to have that moment of like, oh, what's wrong with my face? I guess he had to realise eventually, once his voice changed, well, I don't really. remember him looking in a mirror. I think he got... Yeah, he did look in a mirror. He did. But yeah, um, from that point, basically, Paul and Dick are switched, and then the young man has to put on a rather impressive... Over the top voice for being a conservative old man who is used to getting his way and bossing people around, and uh, and yeah, I guess by contrast, uh, the father has to act like a child who doesn't quite know what to do. Well, he does. He's well, quite no, proactive, actually, isn't he? He really enjoys sending. I don't quite know how to refer to them now. He really enjoys sending his dad off to school as a boy. He's like, no, no, off you go. Bye. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, dad as child is all, release my lobe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love the I love the kid when he's doing his dad's voice. It's just perfect. It's just that now see here I you you can't do <laughs> And it's just it sounds so funny when the kid's doing it. And he does a really good job because he has that kind of mm. confidence and arrogance about him and they for a while they play the card of look, even though I've switched, I'm still gonna treat everyone as if I'm who I am. They don't they don't 
keep the facade of who they are particularly at all. Like, even when they know they have to play each other, they kind of forget it and don't try. They don't, you know, the, the I guess the son does a better job when he's the father of, ah, yes, I must maintain my, my like, I must, every time I slip and say, like, father, it's when I'm the father, or refer to people by the wrong name or act like a child, I have to kind of course, course correct and and not, you know, give it away. But basically, the kid just spends all of his time t- sounding like an old man. <laughs> With loads of old man views and uh, ways of thinking. Yeah, and he had a he had a he had a meaty role. Uh, the kid did in this. Uh, no props to him. I think he did a really good job. Did excellent. Yeah, yeah. It's it's all. Uh, the the narrative at this point is 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 the key is. Uh, yeah, like you say, how to refer to them. Basically, now that they're switched, uh, old old Dick is going to relish having the funds. Just laughing at old Dick. <laughs> Good. Honestly, sorry. <laughs> but uh, Dick is going to relish the fact that he has access to the power of his dad. So, you know, initially he's all about trying to kiss the maid, getting the the maid to kiss him. Uh, and then when she's sort of surprised and shocked, he's like, oh, suit yourself. He's not that fussed. And he's all about buying shirt, running to the, getting people to go down the shop and buying, like, sweets and sherbet and having a nice time in his dad's house while his dad gets to fucking go to school where he didn't want to go. And fucking deal with that shit, Dad, you prick. Bye. I'm in charge. Bye. See you. No, no. Do take him. And then, because it's the Victorian era, the child basically will be hit by anyone who says otherwise. <laughs> like, anyone who doesn't yeah, like this cut of his jib. Quite formally sometimes as well. He keeps getting caught by uh, Mr. Grimstone? Is it Doctor? Mr. Doctor. Doctor, yeah. Doctor The teacher. Grimstone. Yeah, because he tries to like inst- instantly get back in the horse and cart cab, uh, but he hasn't got any money. He keeps forgetting that he doesn't have cigars and money on him because he, you know, he's a child and his child's clothes. So he keeps being thrown off by that. But he's very formal. Like I like when he's when uh, uh, young Paul <laughs> is trying to negotiate out of going to school. I guess he wants to just instantly wish things back. He's initially like, "Oh, uh, Dick, we've got to like." someone else to use the stone to wish us back. This is awful. I can't cope with this. And then, you know, rightly or wrongly, uh, his son sends him off to school and hides the stone in an elephant's foot. Because <laughs> that's, that's the best place for it. Um, but yeah, he, he but you know, young... Can we just talk about James Robertson Justice for a minute? Yeah, sure. He's, like, one of my favourite actors of all time. Okay. He was just, he just, what he did in this film is fairly typical of what he did in other films, except when they occasionally flipped the script and made him nice, really, but still sort of fucked with the head a bit, where it's like, oh, it's going to be nasty, it's going to be nasty. Oh, no, it's not. Who, uh, what was the first thing with him in? But the first thing I saw is he's, um, oh, oh, I was going to say old band scrumptious, that doesn't help. But it's uh, her dad in Bang Bang. He runs a sweet factory. 
Oh yeah, he's the uh, yeah he's the sweets factory owner and he's playing soldiers with the granddad and he. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but in this he's a villain, so he's not as friendly, Humpty Dumpty like self. He's, but he does completely undermine himself, like that point where he dribbles that ball all the way down the field into the goal at the end, and then dribbles it all the way down the other end as well. Yeah, it's a very. It was like a flash. Like I had a flash forward to Kess, where the PE teacher is playing football but wants to also win, and yeah, he's just like, "Get out of my way! I'm going to score, and then I'm going to score for the other team." And don't you dare! And I'll club the ball out of the goalkeeper's hand so I can score. Petty, juvenile gimp. <laughs> like, <laughs> and all throughout this, he's just your classic dickhead old school teacher, Victorian style. It doesn't matter what you do, I will find fault. Everything is a... Ch- like. It's just that children are always wrong. No matter how old they get, they'll always be wrong. And I am right. And I will instill wisdom and strictness everywhere I go. And it's just a, just a tedious bore and an absolute drag. And you kind of just want him to have his upcomings all the time. Mm. Um, I specifically directed at um, Paul slash Dick. Because yeah. there's, there's like scenes where um, there's a scene later on where he comes into like the dormitory and like clearly everyone is not sleeping, but he kind of like focuses on Paul because he's like the troublemaker, and then he like chooses not to see all the other kind of kids that are obviously awake too. Yeah, it's just that tedious. I I've decided things. Mm. And I, I doesn't the truth doesn't matter. I will dispense punishment as I wish to. It's just like, oh, you bastard. I, I, th- I quite like the scene. Uh, so when young Paul is passing himself off as his son and has to go to school, he eventually is forced to go catch the train, um, and he's just this pompous little old-fashioned ass. So he's in the carriage with his teacher and a few other schoolboys, and he grasses up his friend for having a bag of mints. And he moans about the teacher opening the window and letting in all the cold air and giving him a chill at his age. He, he's not suited to it. And he just wants to smoke a cigar and be an old man. And he has all these opinions that the teacher technically agrees with because, you know, he's an old school old man git. And then so this child who's suddenly being like a goody two-shoes, having this like opinion that boys shouldn't have long holidays and everything should be strict and awful. He sort of agrees with him, but also finds him quite annoying as a child. <laughs> and kind of full he's of shit as well. Yeah, because initially he's trying to explain how he's his own father and stuff. And, like, like well, he tries to negotiate out of situations as an adult would. And it just can't work, because was like, you're a child, shut up, do what I want and say. I am the adult, you know. But I did like how he kind of fucked over his own friends. Well, sort of friends, his schoolmates. And... Aligned himself with a teacher, but it didn't work. It didn't gel with a teacher fully. <laughs> he's sort of suspicious of a boy, and even suggests he might be saying these things in jest. I like that scene, anyway. I like it. Just sets the table right for what we're going to get, which is no. Even as a child, he's going to be hated by the kids and the teachers. Mm. And then we uh, segue into. Um old stick in the house and a guy smashes in through the window <laughs> while he's with yeah. his lady friend. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, but the one thing before we talk about this because it's quite weird. In school, the main bully of uh, young Paul. That's later. Oh, is it later, later. on? later. Okay, I well, know exactly what you're going to say and it's later. Yeah. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Back at uh, old Dick playing his dad. Uh, yeah, he's he's you know lounging about. He's dressed a little more like a schoolboy, I guess. Just where I think he just isn't as tailored. And, yeah, more casual, more laying about, having a nice time. Who could blame him? And yeah, he's got like a, a girlfriend, mist- oh, mistress. It's just a sort of uh, girlfriend, isn't it? Florence. Florence is his father's. Uh... I believe they would refer to her as a fancy woman. Sure. And she's visiting, and she's a bit like, "Eh, what's wrong with you?" And he, uh, you know, he's he's obviously slightly. He, he creates a quite a confusing situation for her because he's off, and everyone's like, "What the fuck's wrong with this guy? He's not himself." But it's all interrupted, as you say, by a man with glasses and a mustache and a uniform. Smashing through the window and having a confrontation. I was wondering, actually, what would, what would if this 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 hadn't been a body swap, and a man smashes in your window and you're just you're you're your actual self. What you you get into a deal with him? Like what? You'd be like, oh, I'm gonna call the police and have you arrested for smashing my window, you dickhead. No, you can't go out with my girlfriend. <laughs> She's not your girlfriend. You broke my window, you mad bastard. Like, how would how do you think the dad would have reacted to this? It's mental. <laughs> yeah, like what you said, but with more um, formality. Dash it, man. You can't just break a man's window and demand things of him. I'll get the law after you. Hmm. Get out, you scallywag. I, I will challenge you to a duel. You'll do no such thing. <laughs> I don't know. But you I, I... Smithens Day? Are you mad? <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit, bit fast show from you, Abby. Like a... <laughs> me with a bag of sherbet and a bag of lollies in a duel, you say? Well, um, but yeah. So this guy is like you—you're seeing my woman, and I'm going to challenge you to a duel. And then he wants him to pick weapons, and Paul's like, uh, "Oh no, sorry." Well, Dick is like. Uh, a sword? <laughs> he just agrees to it and is a bit confused. So he has to oh, have. At first, a... he says. The first Dick suggests pillows. Yeah. Which I thought was quite reasonable. Yeah, just. Do you want to just no. chill out, mate? <laughs> Pillow duel. Nice. But yeah, they have, they have. They have to. They set up a duel because they're, I guess, old school. But it's, it's also. It's still illegal to duel. It's not like a. It's like something the toffs decide they can do because they're above rules. And so it's technically like not not a form of etiquette anymore to do that, but they're going to have it anyway, and he has to get a second. I think the doctor is uh, requested as a second because the butler's got the doctor Ooh. to check him over, isn't he? Because he's behaving like a child. And he quite rightly says, "I think I'm probably going to need you." Yes. So let's have you there. So we well, they set up this duel, and then this is where I feel like the film gets a bit distracted. I feel like Ustinov stuck his foot off the pedal a bit and wants to kind of do whatever. Because there's some of this I understand a bit, but mostly there's a sequence of madness that I can't quite understand. There was a lot, there was a lot going on in that uh, duel scene. I don't think it was refined into making sense. It was just, I've got... It's a farce, so we should have a load of shit thrown at the wall here. Cause... Right, this, is, this is Afterworld's largest boy. 
<laughs> is it? Oh, we'll come back to the duel then. Yeah. Go on, Abby. But, yeah, we find out that young Dick's nemesis at school is the world's largest boy. Quite clearly, like a maybe even a 40-year-old <laughs> man, man yeah. <laughs> who is playing a schoolboy who uh, is in love with the same girl as young Dick is, who is age-appropriate to the school. So you've just got this man pretending to be a boy saying he's in love with this girl. It's just... No... And in his school, in his school uniform, it's almost like this is this guy's in his own big. Like, has has he made a wish in a fairground machine and has been transformed into like a giant boy? But everyone's like, oh, we'll just put up with it. Like, what what is going on with it? Like, why? I guess they wanted an actor who could portray a, a range, have a more range and be more menacing. Like, just hire a bigger child actor. They clean. They hired other children actors to be on the on the like to aid. Uh, big Paul, <laughs> whatever. But like, no, big dick. Yeah, oh Jesus, <laughs> big dick. Said, oh dear. But like, uh, they do. They have kids like helping out uh, at the duel, and their kids. So you're like, why? Why did you have this one actor playing like a, an adult actor playing a kid? Everyone else is. I don't know why. I, like, you've got a child in the main role, so. I don't know, it was a weird one, wasn't it? I don't know, what, maybe they just liked the guy and they were like, yeah, we've got to have you in the film. Never mind that you're clearly an adult man. <laughs> and that's a different concept for a different movie, but okay. But it's just, there's a lot of... Uh, I, I guess it's just the father putting up with a lot of the bullshit from his perspective of, now see here, I wouldn't usually put up with all this, but I guess because I'm a smaller boy and you all don't believe me in my situation, I'm going to do my best to get out of it or cope. He's very He's much just stuck. Like, oh, yes, you're Finchley's son, aren't you? Yeah, he seems to, like... Um, yeah, he like he doesn't know anything about who his friends are because he has no me- he hasn't got the same shared thoughts as his son did, or memories. So yeah, he's literally just oh your father was very nice even though you're bullying me. I, me, your father was a nice man. I'm sure he wouldn't care for this sort of behaviour. It's just like what you like he's a like he's such an ass for dealing with like you look like a child. Understand that behave like a child. He's just so incapable of passing himself off as a child. Just a complete, I just want to be having a smoke and to get out of here. But I can't. Yeah. It is funny. Like, it's just very good. Then we have the bit where it's like, we mentioned where it's like the night time and he comes in, he picks on him a bit, and world's largest boy is punching his pillow in his sleep because he's an angry man. <laughs> and then we have the bizarre duel scene. Which yes. Is just... I, I, I don't know where to begin with My favourite part was like the, the the rivals all kind of like arriving and being like really upper class military men. I think that was my favourite part. And then just kind of like being pompous and silly. Because the rival of uh, so I keep, don't know who to call who the rival of uh, Let's just say Bultitude, and then we'll be right either way. So Bultitude's rival is a twit <laughs> and, a, and an ass. And I'm not 100% if the woman they're both interested in is on his side or Paul's. 
but I don't think it matters. Well, she ends up with um, Marmaduke, so I don't think she's on anyone's particularly. Yeah, yeah she she is revealed to be like uh, some sort of she's scheming against him. Yeah, so she's sort of yeah, she's not a character of virtue anyway. But uh, so the sequence of events as I understand them. So I think prior to where we come in, young uh, old Dick. <laughs> Uh, Dick, as his father, has arranged with some boys by bri- he's bribed them with with a uh, lot of sweets, a whole a whole like list of things. But basically, he's bought them loads of sweets. If they'll come, beat up some carriage men or hijack a carriage that brought the duelists there, and then dress up and pretend to be the carriage operators and get snowballs ready to, I guess, interrupt the duel. But also. But basically, there's a military band in a ba- nearby bandstand. Are they playing music on purpose? They, like they've been, play- they're going to play some solemn music because there might be a funeral at the end of this duel. I I don't I don't know if they were affiliated with the duel. I think they were just there practicing. Right. And I don't know if they have anything to do with it other than they're playing music vaguely nearby. Right. And, so and the, they have a comically overbearing conductor. It was very funny, actually. He keeps telling off his uh, various, you know, bassoon players and things, and try. There's a lot of like again wordy comedy about uh, that sort of ironic statements and. Uh, oh, my favourite quote: "Light-hearted abandon, or else." Yes, yeah. It's all like witty dialogue. That's <laughs> quite enjoyable. So the band practice is happening. The coachmen have been kidnapped by children and have been replaced, and the kids are ready to throw snowballs. And the police are also there. A shit ton of police have turned up, possibly because the duel is illegal. And just before the duel comes to a head, everything sort of kicks off. The police, the snowball throwers, everyone's running around. They all end up in the bandstand running around and trying to, like, it becomes like one of those cartoon clouds of people fighting and chasing each other, or in real life and in a bandstand. And it just, the bandstand roof falls down and crushes them a bit, and that, that's it. We just kind of jump cut to court, basically, and you're like, what the hell was that about? <laughs> did anyone, like, it didn't make full sense, did it? You can quite understand, because, like, he wasn't bought... Boltitude, I can't say his fucking name. Bloody Boltitude, yeah? Such a Bultitude. weird name. Boltitude. So Boltitude had obviously, he wasn't utterly shitting himself because he knew he had something in his back pocket, but he wasn't up for this going through. But then just getting clobbered in this whole mess, entire, like running around, trying to get away. They try and get away in the stagecoach at one point. They can't. And it just, it all crashing down and them ending up in a, in a court battle. So do, do anyone want to discuss the court case that we have in the middle of this film? Yeah, that um, again, it becomes a giant satire, I suppose, of kind of like Victorian life, where it's all more of a theatre production than an actual court case, where you have like, I, th- I think it's like, they do have like the different factions politically in the stands, don't they? Like the Conservatives yeah. clap at certain things and like the liberals clap at certain other things and then there's jokes like um 
uh, assassins when he could have easily acquired assassins, as both of our political parties know. <laughs> then everybody clapped. But then they come to the conclusion that, oh, but he's rich, he could have paid assassins. Ah, yes, but he's cheap, so he paid children with sweets. And then they list off all the things he paid uh, the young boys to throw snowballs with. And they're like, oh, he did pay a lot for the children, so he's not cheap. So that gets him off the hook for, for something. Like, Is that before or after the tangent where they talk about someone else completely and whether or not he's a good egg? I, I don't know. It was all one big stupid farce, really, wasn't it? Because they have, they have like even I think at some point the 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 people watching the courts break into song, and like there's all kinds of like what what's happening, and that they play they do a bit of you know uh, roasting of the judge. Basically, they portray the judge to be more interested in going off to some was it an appointment or he's got something be- somewhere better to be. He needs like to catch a train. train. So he basically wants the court case to end quicker. So he tells the jury, if you come to any other conclusion than this. I'll tell you <laughs> where you've gone wrong, basically. And they have the nice gag, they? In the jury box, all the jurors are dismissed. They go in one door and instantly out the other door and come back and say, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I, I remember... I think that's got a stutter for no reason. Yeah, I didn't get that. It wasn't particularly worth having. Oh, but then the I guess the judge interrupts him, going, yeah, we know what you're going to say. It's fine. But the, I, 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 I remembered it wrong, having watched it twice now. I thought they found uh, Paul guilty, but they didn't, did they? No. Which I thought it made more sense that if he'd have suffered uh, with get you know losing his dad money or something. I don't know. At some point, does does Paul run a business that's that's failing, or does his son set up a business like they basically invest in the modern motor car? This is the eighteen hundreds, so they're right at the cusp yeah. of motoring. Like um. Young Paul is like reading the newspaper, and it says that his son slash father has invested in cars, horseless carriages. Yes. Um, and we do kind of like see him driving a car, but then it kind of like splits in half because comedy. Shit. Yes. So I think the idea is. Uh, Old Dick has taken the opportunity to use his dad's funds to invest in motor cars, which, as a young boy, I guess he's excited about. And that pays off. He makes his dad some money that way. And then uh, his father in in the child's body realises by reading the newspaper what his dad's been up to. I thought it was the court case as well. Like, I don't know how how long this film takes. Like, it seems to be a few days. There's at least one sleep in it. But it's like a, a short portion of time, but like not, you know, enough to do stuff, enough to have a deal, go to court, invest in a business, get into trouble, you know, get the threat of mm. caning happen. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. I'm not sure how much time passes either. There's a yeah cuz there's no time limit on this on the swap i guess they could stay that way technically unless something happens but um what was happening with uh, the father in the child's body at this point there's basically a lot more stuff with the headmaster isn't there there's the the dribbling that i discussed the football dribbling not the sleeping mm. dribbling 
Yeah, a football match. Well, he gets in a bit of trouble with having, like, he's trying to hide the newspaper, and there's a bit of, you know, back and forth comedy. And they also involve, they involve the girlfriend of uh, young Paul in the story, which is the headmaster's daughter, who is some sort of serving girl at the school, I think. Yeah, she's kind of like a maid kind of person. She serves milk at some point. Yes. Oh, and he's like, oh, is he like, disinterested in milk and more? I don't know. Probably wants a brandy or a fucking cigar or something, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> but what, what, like, uh, what trouble does he get in where he's like, there's an, appen- there's a, an impending caning going to happen? Oh, um, they're in, like, church assembly, and, like, a note is getting passed around, but the wrong person gets it. I'm not quite sure what happened there. Was it, like, the bully guy sends a note to someone? Dulcie, perhaps? It ends up on the floor between young Paul and the headmaster's wife. Right. And they both go for it, and then the headmaster sees it and yeah. kicks off. Yeah, I don't think we act, we know what it says or anything like that, but it's it it upsets old Grimstone. Yes, as pretty much existing except it upsets him. I like that he gets. He gets mm-hmm. I like that as a bearded teacher, he's constantly wearing the sort of mortarboard and a gown. Like it wasn't just a you're graduating. Let's put on these stupid clothes. This is the uniform of the teacher. <laughs> so I did like that. I mean, it's historically correct, presumably, but uh, <clears throat> it adds a element of weirdness to it. <clears throat> but uh, I think, th- like, essentially, what happens is. Uh, is there a communication between father and son, or what? Just basically, at some point, while old Paul, no, while young, oh, so annoying. Essentially, while the son in his father's body realizes, I should probably check in on my dad. I mean, he is in my body. That's the other thing you got to remember in a body swap. My body's at stake. If they want me to do anything, they could hold my body hostage. Quite easy to uh, you know, ruin it with either food or directly scar you for life. So you know, anything they're willing to do that you wouldn't want to happen to you is is fair game. But that's, it's more Paul thinks, oh maybe I've been or maybe Dick thinks maybe I should check in on my dad. And so he takes his, he reluctantly takes his girlfriend who doesn't who wants to come. And I think to does the uncle come back at some point as well? That is, yeah, we see him like um, scheming. I think, I think his girlfriend, like the dad's girlfriend, is in the 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 car place. Yeah, and Marmaduke turns up and it's like, I know you. You're some con artist bint I've met before. And yes. Like, oh, so are you? Let's fall in love right now and take all his money. <laughs> yes, okay. Well, I suppose that's the thing is that the the though Peter Ustinov is funny in his writing, he doesn't have a screenplay writer's organization skills. Like he's witty, and it feels like the Goon Show or 
like even Monty Python at sometimes, but it doesn't have that structure you'd expect a, a sensible screenplay to have, which is, does it really? It sort of it fudges things together and it makes it harder to accept or something, doesn't it? I don't know how much of that is of the time. And because it's like a really silly farce as well. Yeah, like it's sort of who cares attitude. Let's just make it happen. We're already way past plausibility here, so... Heroes, villains, you know, let's keep it simple. And yet convoluted. (laughs) I don't know, yeah, but anyway, like... uh, Old Paul, no... Uh, Dick, as his father, turns up in the motor car at the school, interrupting the opportunity, perhaps, for the teacher to scold his students further. And basically, it's time now in the body swap comedy, like all of them, where an element of confessing happens and trying to tell the truth, but no one believes you. So I think it's the headmaster, his wife, the daughter of the headmaster who is the girlfriend of Paul and doesn't understand why he's behaving like an old man uh, and then the I guess, you know, Dick's parents obviously the body swap is still in play, so they're they're all there or Dick's, Dick's dad and then his stepmom or whatever she is, whatever you'd call the girlfriend of your dad, they're all in the office of the headmaster trying to not, I'd say suss it out but it's mainly just argue <laughs> And be confused and think both people are being mad, don't they? Let me see what my notes are. I, yeah, I just call it the blow-off in the headmaster's office. There's a lot of confusion, a lot of strangeness. They still leave young Paul behind because there's there's going to be a children's party at the house and old Dick doesn't want him there. But he does promise to bring him back. But then... Young Paul asks for pocket money, which he then spends on catching the train home. Well, yeah, there's the, in the blow-off in this... I mean, the headmaster's a bit annoyed. His wife sort of puts him in his place, which I thought, thought was quite funny. And he, they, they, everyone's, like, a bit confused as to why everyone's acting... Or the two men and the man and boy are acting weird. But, like, essentially, Dick isn't willing to let his dad off the hook yet. So he's sort of pouting around, unhappy with the situation. And not acting as a mature adult, but not letting the teacher fully get away with anything, and sort of getting a bit of uh, catharsis from you know not being able to be bullied by this teacher because he's a man now. And then the boy is still stuck in the mess uh, and can't explain why he fancies this old woman. And they like the whole like there's a bit it's a bit gets a bit weird with the romance where the young boy fancies the woman and the old man is enamoured with a little girl it's a bit oh god creepy but also everyone else thinks it's creepy so it's okay but it is just a lot of faffing around it's kind of funny but it it does essentially lead to you're not leaving school just yet young man i have a party where i'm gonna get all stroppy with the little children when i'm not and i don't win the game they're playing i love that bit where it's just uh like dick really reveals himself to be a little brat yeah, and it's it's been extra funny because it seems like this this nice this kindly man has thrown a party for all the local children who presumably don't have to go to school, and they're having a nice time. And then this old man won't be out of the out of the game. 
And in fairness, he does sort of bring up, a, you know, cheating, and he, he's quite rude to a little girl. But you know, if she, if if she was rightly going to be the next one out, I don't, I think I'm with uh, just giving away what kind of child I was. No, I'm a stickler for the rules. Thank you very much. We won't I think be. They get the adults out first because they don't really want to be doing it. But of course he does. So then one of the kids ends up winning kind of thing. But uh, I'm not on board with that. You, you play the ball as it lies. Unless <laughs> using gutters, I'm mixing my sports metaphors now, but no putting up uh, barriers in the gutters of the bowling alley. Everyone plays and we see who's the best. You know, children won't appreciate thinking they're good when they're actually shit. Must learn a life lesson. <laughs> Or good at just being in the right place at the right time. How, yeah, the, the the good at the chance of the song-based game. <laughs> yeah, okay. I don't know, whatever. But I did. I liked. I was very funny anyway, and I liked how. I don't know. He seemed to be. I, I think the, the, the obviously all body swaps about learning a lesson and living in someone else's shoes, literally, and so I, I think. The lesson Dick is learning is quite mild. Like, he doesn't need to learn that much because he's the good guy, I guess. But what would you guys say he realises? That what he realises what it's like to be his dad a little and how his dad seems to get people smashing in windows to do limbs. It's quite exciting and scary. He has a yeah, somewhat they, hard they life. surprised enough about that. Seemed pretty normal to all the adults, didn't they? But I, I think I think what like young Dick no sorry Dick basically feels more sympathy towards his father now that he's I guess punished him, and I guess the dad learns how difficult it is for his son, and he begrudgingly comes around. I like that when the dad does forgive his son a bit or wants to swap back and there's an opportunity to do so, he's still like we're not going full blown. You're getting loads of money and I'm taking it easy, but you can go to Harrow. That was one of the compromises. We could go to a better school with a nicer. I'm glad he didn't go to Eton. Harrow. I mean, I don't know that Harrow's much better, but still. Um, but anyway, what, like, what was the? You said, Abby, you said the kid caught the train home. And you got that bit with him in the carriage and those other guys reading the newspaper. <laughs> She's just. They're like, have you got a light? Yes, there you go. Just a kid smoking a cigar or whatever. It's fine. And just that, yeah, just British people don't ask questions. We just let let everyone be, yeah. Well, there wasn't much to that bit. It was just the comment about how nobody bothers you and asks you questions on the the British trains. And then it goes into the party and trying to find the eye. Well, I I think there's a bit... Basically, uh, Paul, no? Yeah, Paul, young Paul, discovers his uncle colluding with his uh, ex-girlfriend and realises that they're pricks <laughs> and that they I guess I... He, he he's listening like while they're talking on the couch and then he he emerges up from behind the couch and goes Marmaduke you something like you are revealed or <laughs> exposed or something. There's like, a lot of there's a lot of melodramatic moments. Actually, I think the narrator calls himself on being a little melodramatic. Like when when he's he's he resounds to sort like the kid resounds to solve his situation, and he, he the narrator as an older man 
admits that it was melodramatic, but there's loads of these overly melodramatic uh, moments where people pronounce things out loud and say, ah, ah, and stuff. And I did, I did like that they persuade the uncle and his girlfriend that they he is who he says. He, he's, he successfully convinces them Something to do with like a mole on her back and a bunch of information about all the times where he fucked over his brother-in-law because his brother-in-law is a villain and he deserved it. About his multiple marriages. Yeah, so he has enough knowledge to persuade them that I am a man trapped in a boy's body. And then it is more about convincing old Dick that you should probably, we should swap back, mate. You're tired of your your fat belly that isn't that fat. It's not that bad, mate. It's not that bad. Come on now. <laughs> um, but he like he's tired of, you know, being old and worn out. Uh, and they basically, yeah, they come to a compromise, and but then they still can't swap because uh, he's lost the stone. He's lost the eye. He thinks because... he's lost it in Brighton. Which would be a problem. Is that, oh is that a, is that a right? When did he have this trip around to the? He yeah. went to the. So he went to the beach. He did all the nice things you'd do if you were just living a life of leisure. Didn't have to go to school. But we didn't see any of it. No. So again, the time passing mysteriously, we don't quite follow. It, it turns out his younger brother, who's on like a rocking horse upstairs, is playing with it. Is that right? Yeah, using it as a shield. And why not? He says the word cool. He did, didn't he? When his when uh, Dick or his dad, as as Dick, says to him like, "Oh, it's a magic stone or something," he's like, "Cool." And you're like, "Wait, a nineteen forty eight saying cool, b eighteen hundred saying cool? What are we talking about?" <laughs> very, <laughs> very casually as well. Just oh, cool. What do they promise the young brother? Like. It's problem. It just says it's magical and you can unlock it by saying this. Oh, he just forces him and then he, he, the kid puts up the one bit of fight of Paul, that's daddy. Oh, say daddy then. <laughs> For fuck's sake, just change us back, you bastard. And indeed they do. They switch. Uh, I think also the teacher has followed down trying to get hold of the kid, I guess. I, I guess he needs to be there because all the characters need to be there for this. Uh, the old switcheroo where instantly Paul and Dick are switched back and they can exact their correct behaviour on everyone and I don't know, I think they they chase the teacher out or something and basically the dad gets to fucking man up now or something, does he? Well yeah, that's the thing, I would say that at this point, Grimstone has overstepped the mark considerably like being the lord of your own school, that's fine, but coming into other people's houses and chasing people through them a bit threatening mental. to hit them with an umbrella is a bit much yeah yeah, stepped overstepped a line or two. It's all become a bit much in general. But uh, it concludes fairly swiftly. Swiftly, we go back at some point to the wedding day of older Dick in school. At oh shit, we go back of to modern day Dick, who is a legitimate adult, getting married to the girl that he fancied in school. Yes, with that we fight. We put two and two together eventually, and that oh, I see. Dick is marrying his childhood sweetheart, but he's an adult now, we don't see him. And then older Paul is telling the story, having mellowed somewhat, uh, having had the body switch. But, with well, the other joke being, so he while uh, 
while Dick was in his father's body, he had kept requesting the maid kiss him. And she even gets told off by the butler, I think. But stop bringing that up. You keep mentioning how often he wants to kiss you. Weird. <laughs> and uh, But it seems that's paid off. And that the maid, even though there was a class problem before, now that they swap back, I guess, the maid is interested. I think we do see them kiss when their body swapped at some point, very briefly. But it seems as if he has married the maid. Now that he's older, he is happy with it his wife who is also still a bit of a still kind of hard work because you know wives in comedies are always hard work and then we basically leave through a netted curtain eventually and leave the characters to it I guess what else is there anything else happened at the end that was worth mentioning I think so but it's a nice little bringing it back to the narration and where we came in on like around like an opportunity for uh, Paul to say his piece and uh, conclude the story with what I guess it was about. Learning, like all body swaps, learning how other, someone else isn't that bad after all. Classic father-son body swap. Anything else in your notes, Abby? No, my notes ran out after the word cool. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I would say it is a cool film. It's weird and cool, and it's full of mirth as well. There's lots of little gags. You can watch it more than once and enjoy turns of phrase, little micro-reactions of characters. You can understand it a bit better the second time round. You're like, oh, I see that bit, this bit. Oh, right. And Yeah, but there's a lot of ropey shit to it as well. Like, There's a lot of like, okay, we're going to fudge this and make that work and don't worry about it. Don't think about it too much. It's just a dopey comedy. So for all of the wonderful stuff Peter Ustinov brings to it in the writing and the comedy and his directing is fairly standard it's still a 40 so you're not going to get too experimental just yet there's a mm. little bit of mad effects or you know what, what was it like fucking tricks of the eye or something like illusions of grandeur um, but anyway like it's really good like it's like a nice witty piece full of comedy and when a comedy's funny, that's job done as far as I'm concerned, so... Yep. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's... It's probably the, the one of the silliest, like I said before, of like these body swap films that I've seen. Oh, they're but sillier. But it knows it, and, and it embraces it, and yeah. it's all the better for it. And uh, like you said at the beginning, I mean, it's, you know, it's not a perfect film by any means. There's still plenty of holes to kind of, like... Um, point out. It's mostly trivial. The problems with it. It's not like, yeah. well, there's like like the brown face. Yeah. Is that is the most problematic thing I'd say. I think it would have if they hadn't if they've just had Indian actors like you know if it had not been the forties and it was Indian actors the the gimmick would work wouldn't it if Indians were just oh bloody English stupid foreigners it would that's still you don't need to remove the characters per se. Hmm. And some of the like premise is a bit all over the shop, but, yeah. but you you enjoyed it, Anthony. I did. One of the better kind of body swap things that I can think of. Mm. Also, it's not. I mean, it was the first of many body swaps that came after. Mm. But it wasn't. It was. There's another film, Freaky Friday, the seventies version. Also has a scene where a car splits in two. I don't know 
why that they both share cars splitting in two. It's not particularly important or clever. They just happen and you go, okay. I think people just decide, oh, it's a farce. There should be some sort of big physical, practical joke thing that goes on. That seems to just be, oh, we're doing a comedy, so something big should happen. It's a movie. Okay. Didn't make, didn't need to, but okay. So, anyway, bit of trivia there. Two, I don't know if any other body swaps have car splits. Does any of the Herbie films have a body swap? I don't think they do. Also, if Herbie's splitting in two, then that's that's got very different implications. Well, Herbie he does split, split in two. In one of the yeah. I think the arse end of him finished before the front end or something in one of them. That's troubling. Oh, so, so sorry. <laughs> yeah, anyway. I don't think I can't think of any Exorcist connections here, guys, or what's the other ones we need to look out for on Jamie's behalf? Twin Peaks? I don't think there's any of those either. Mad Max. Well, I mean, it's got cars in. <laughs> don't know. Anyway, yeah. Uh, Abby? Oh, yeah, I really like this. Like, you do, like we've said, certain allowances for the era have to be made, but it, it's quality. Yeah, it's worth checking out Peter Ustinoff, whatever he's doing, whether he's in a big epic uh, period drama, or whether he's Poirot, or whether he's any number of his like funny regal characters. Uh, he's actually quite good as a stand-up, sort of stand-up. Anyway, he does like comedy talks occasionally, where he's quite good at anecdotes and impressions, and oh, he's, uh, yeah, you can't go wrong. So really, well, I, we should say that Peter Ustinov was of this certain era. So most of the things Peter Ustinov did do have some, like little threads and strands that are questionable now, but that's just because of the time he was in. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you need to accuse Peter no, Ustinov of being like you know inappropriate. I mean, pretty much every actor from this era doing comedy will have done something, whether they play a race they weren't supposed to by modern standards or something. If that's what you're getting at. Yeah, it's just I think of like a few things, like of things I've seen him in, there's always at least one thing where I'm like, ah, oh, that's a shame. Yeah, but you know, Peter Sellers did like brown face and stuff. Loads of, like, it's just, you have to accept it. I wouldn't judge people of the past by modern standards. And uh, Peter Ustinov, I mean, people mostly probably know him from, like, uh, Robin Hood, right? The animated Disney film where he's Prince John. And that's probably my fondest... That's probably my fondest role for him and his voice and his... Just his sucking the thumb. He really throws himself into the baby. He always played just babyish, royal, spoilt brats. Whether he's Emperor Nero or, you know, Prince John or whoever. He's great as just privileged little... Pricks. <laughs> so, I know, I'm, I'm never, always happy to see Peter Ustinov on screen as well. I don't know how to describe it for other people, but keep an eye out for his. Oh. Yeah, his noises. The Peter Ustinov. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was in Logan's. He was in Logan's run, wasn't he? As well. Yes. Anyway, if that's it, that's it, right, guys. Indeed. We are going to return any artefacts back to where they go before we get cursed and switch bodies. Um, Let's not make any hasteful wishing on objects anytime soon, just in case. You never know. Although, 
I'd give it a go. I'd, I'd spend a day having a little physical swap with the right person. I'd feel sorry for whoever got my body, I'll tell you that much. Depends oh. if they need anything from high up. I guess, but then they'll realise quite quickly putting socks on is a pain in the fucking ass. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, catch you next time. Toodles, kisses, mwah mwah mwah. Bye-bye. Bye. My public...